Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Tell us a little bit before we dive into what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into hemp, what you did before hemp. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mandy Kerr. It might take me a minute to warm up here because you do have a broad reach. And thank you for the work. Global Hemp Association is awesome. Yeah. And it's global too. So I talk to people from all over. But yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Lucas Evans from Texas, seventh generation. Grew up on a farm out here, family farm. That unfortunately most of it got sold off. Then I went to school, got an environmental science degree. Really have a passion for the outdoors, Mother Nature, clean air and clean water. And then kind of found out, I've done a lot of traveling, very fortunate for that. And I found out the fact that farmers have one of the highest rates of suicide. And so when I was kind of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, I grew up outside, I grew up on a farm. I was like, oh, this is a way of life. Like if I can't work in an office, I'm going to work out here. Because, right, working in an office is a terrible lifestyle. And then I found this out about farmers. And I'm like, what? That's impossible. Like, And then that was kind of right about the time that hemp came on the radar. 2018, 2019, Texas became legal. At which point I went over to Germany to see who's been doing that for 30 years. Boffa New, great company out there. And, yeah, they kind of just opened my eyes to the potential here. Came back home. We are outside of Austin, Texas, and Taylor, Texas. It's about 30 minutes northeast, Blackland Prairie. And so I founded Texas Hemp Processors. I had a parent company before that, E3 Industries, and now E3 Agriculture. So I took my environmental background, and we did stuff in industrial cleanup and advocacy and just trying to bring awareness and, and clean up the mess that we've created over the past 100 or so years. And I think hemp is a huge vehicle to do that. So I'm here for it. We're Texas Hemp Processors and yeah, it's got to happen. Okay. So I was going to ask you like where, what really drove your passion around sustainability? And I say this often because I was so disconnected to a lot of things that hemp opened my eyes to around supply chain and how things are ethically sourced or were not being ethically sourced and, you know, where farmers stood in the supply chain line. And so it's been awesome for me on an education piece, but you really have got you know, a lot of background in opening your eyes to the value of sustainability and, you know, the soil and regenerative agriculture. So can you kind of speak to where hemp now, like, where did hemp, like, what was that aha moment that hemp really was at the forefront of that conversation and where it was a tool? Yeah, there's quite a few. I want to shout out Extinction Rebellion. I like it. Yeah, check them out. Like I said, I'm a environmental scientist, and I don't think people realize the scope of the issue here. It takes a level head and broad shoulders to kind of reckon with this. And, I, and I'm a ultimate positive person. You know, the thing is, we just haven't even tried, really. I think we kind of got to this point on accident. But yeah, in, in school and looking at like a professional outlook, pretty much like every job I got offered out of school was to like do the opposite thing. And I realized that like 99 90% of jobs, the vast majority of what we do to build value is exploitative and it's extractive and it 
pits us against resources. It pits us against Mother Nature. And farming and agriculture is really one of the only industries out there. I mean, it's the oldest one that we have. We've been doing it for all of time that, if done correctly, can actually improve the environment as you gain from it. I mean, like, how beautiful of a thing is that? Like, we take the fruits right. of Mother Nature and, you know, if we treat her nice, she treats us ten times nicer. And then, you know, I got a really good understanding of global agriculture, industrial agriculture, the monoculture of the agricultural pharmaceutical industrial complex that basically four companies run the world and obviously how that plays out in America. But then, you know, that model is being adopted around the globe and it's, you see this in India and Africa and stuff as we're kind of industrializing the, the vast majority of people are still subsistence farmers. And so spraying chemicals and getting inputs and all these things that we're doing is not that good, but, We've paired all of this down into, we've, we've coded this into the genetic DNA of our plants to the point that it's then supported by leg global legislation, whatever, and they can take over farming. And so we've kind of like ripped farming from the people. We've outlawed agriculture in a lot of cases that it's illegal to save your seeds and replant them next year. I mean, that we accept that in America. Like, we just take it on the face. Like, yeah, sure. But like, no, we've outlawed agriculture if you can't keep your seeds replant them and we need to do this and, and address that globally and so hemp right is free of all these things largely you know it grows wild in lots of parts of the world nepal is one of the leaders globally and i asked one of the folks there like how do y'all cultivate it you know what kind of industry and they're like oh we just go pick it as we need it and then we make you know high value products out of it and so Hemp is, yeah, free of this kind of control. It's brand new, obviously, in America. And it's just innovative and green and also is super, super productive. All of the metrics match up in terms of cellulose production and drought tolerance. We could talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. So. Oh, oh, okay, so I was just going to bring up the drought tolerance. And the because of its newness, its strength around pesticides, right, which feeds to its strengths in, you know, not being a monocrop, you know, being harvested as monocrop. So can you kind of speak to some of the benefits around the water and what you've seen and heard in your experience? You know, you're around a lot of very educated people working with the universities and you know, things like that. So would you mind kind of speaking to both your experience as well as, you know, what you've learned through this process? Yeah. Yeah. Hemp is, it's a badass plant. I mean, it's a rigorous growing, it's a weed, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, you know, we've really scaled up this year, you know, not exorbitantly, not thousands of acres, but significantly in one of the worst droughts we've had in, you know, dare I say 10 years back to 2011, yeah. we had a horrible drought when I mean, that was probably across the United States, you're in Utah. So I imagine what we feel y'all probably do too. And yeah, it's been early June. Spraying 100 degrees every day, haven't had a drop of rain in five weeks. And where we're at in the world, you know, yes, the farmers, I mean, this is one of the best little corners of agriculture in the world, they say. We've got four feet of topsoil. We've got a river about every 30 miles, and mm -hmm. uh, we have never irrigated. So we're doing all dry land cropping of hemp. And we get historically as much rain as Seattle, Washington, here in Austin, out northeast mm -hmm. of it. The Brazos River Valley really creates a 
perfect environment for that. Yeah, that hadn't been the case this year. And so we invested a bunch of money, put the seeds in the ground, and and working, yeah, like you said, closely with AM. There's a big research farm right next to us. And then uh, we always talk to the folks up in Lubbock just to kind of get a comparison. The hemp is growing. I mean, that's all we can really say. It's not, it's, you know, it's still deep green. I, I don't have any pictures to share here, but like, it's remarkable. I mean, there's cracks in the ground like this, you know, yeah. and the hemp is six feet tall, bright green. I mean, you know, four in the afternoon and it's been a hundred degrees all day. It's not, Yeah. I wouldn't be too happy either, but yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of hope for, for this plant working. And like I said, we're dry land, you know, knock on wood because we're <laughs> having to look at, you know, potential irrigation and stuff if, if things don't lighten up. But for now, I think this is all good. So, well, I think that that's it's it's interesting, right? How drought resistant it is, but how sensitive it is, sensitive it is to high moisture. And so, it's I'm excited to see results, especially over this next couple of years, and watch trials really scale, especially mm-hmm. down in Texas. Well, and you mentioned uh, right. So none of this is Roundup ready. There's no approved pesticides or herbicides right. for it. And we haven't seen the need for that. I mean, grasshoppers like it a little bit, but mainly because they don't have any grass to hop on. Sure. So, yeah. And, and we did actually, you know, our stuff is as organic as it can get. A little burned down before maybe, but nothing foliar, nothing on the top. We had some weeds pop up and we tried to like individually wick them with Roundup. And it just killed this whole patch. Like, like, like hemp is sensitive to the fact that like maybe it's never been exposed to Roundup glyphosate, but they just, so yeah, I'm sure they're working on it, but the plant does not like herbicides, yeah, glyphosate, at least glyphosate. So yeah, I know there's a lot of farmers out there. There's a lot of talk about that and a lot of problem in other areas of the country and a lot of articles that have been sent to me about Mm -hmm. the concern because it has, it's made it impossible to grow where glyphosate has been used. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting, very, to see how that plays out. We're going to plant. Yeah, we have to isolate our fields for sure, sure, away from other crops. So, in your experience, are you not experienced corn earworm? A little. I mean, we haven't seen it significantly. We have a little bit of this, like they ball up the leaves at the top. I, I think that might be like a little webworm. No corn earworm, and we don't have any seeds yet or any budding or flowers. So I don't know what might pop up then, but yeah, mainly grasshoppers and then a little bit of a, it's like a little webworm or something that kind of folds up the top growth of it. But other than that, we haven't seen much of a problem. Okay. So I have all kinds of questions that I could dive into about farming specifically, but I kind of want to also talk about what you're doing on the processing side. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Can you tell us how do people reach out to you and find you if they do have questions or want to get involved for any reason totally yeah texas hemp processors.net it's not a super beautiful page but it, it'll get you there and or lucas at texas hemp com. so we, we do we do work with these folks texas a&m i can't see point to them <laughs> and texas tech as well we try to heed the advice of the universities and that's a really interesting go between but they're in it for us they're a public institution and so we're gonna you know, honor that and make the most of it. So. Awesome. 
Awesome, awesome. Okay, so would you mind telling me a little bit about what you're doing as far as processing? So we talked about farming, you're obviously involved there. Talk to me about your processing and in product development. Right. So uh, <laughs> I know, right. Well, well, you know, looking at this and seeing hemp as an opportunity as a new crop, it just as like a rotation crop. Even if a farmer, one in 10 farmers tries this every other year, mm-hmm. we're talking about, I don't know, across the United States, 14 million acres of hemp being grown. And great, but then what do we do with it? And looked around the room and there was nobody there. So we just decided to bite the bullet and we are building our infrastructure processing. We've been doing it for two years now. We're scaling up. So we really 10 X each year. We did one acre in 2020, 12 acres in 2021, and we're doing 120 acres this year. And we're kind of, and then also contracting with other farmers who want to grow it and sell to us and process either through a toll processing or you know, we'll buy it off them, whatever, just trying to build that entire market. And so, yeah, trying to own our whole process through, we debated, you know, the co-op mode. I was for that. I'm not really trying to do this to get rich. I'm just trying to do this at the rate and speed we need to avoid the worst of climate change and others. But yeah, so we've got a old airport out here in Texas and we've filled that with all kinds of machines and conveyors and storage deals. And, you know, we want to own at least 7 to 12 finished products. We're happy to sell raw material to anybody. Give us the specs early enough so we can kind of meet your demands. But, yeah, anything from raw herd, raw, I mean, you know, sized herd, clean herd for building and animal bedding. Raw fiber, we really, you know, obviously don't have too much capacity to clean it. But we can get you some stuff for papers and non-wovens. That's good. But my real interest here, and, right, I've... work with a lot smarter people than me. I'm just a go-getter, young guy, you know, trying to save the planet. And that has proven really remarkable. I mean, we have some of the, the smartest people. I don't know how much smarter you can get than some, but so we work with a, our chief scientist worked adhesives in 3M, did a lot of R&D for companies. And we have some molecules that basically remove volatile organic compounds from industrial processes. So hemp plastic's a good one, right? Hemp oil, you know, but the, the volume we need for that is going to be difficult to meet in the near future. We need something like 250,000 gallons of hemp seed oil a year, I mean a month, to justify a biodiesel plant. And we've Give me some it. conversion on scalability for acreage. So that's actually not that much. I guess it would, I think it comes out to about 7,000 acres. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not huge in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but when you, I just saw a report that came out from Frontier Data that showed that there was, what, 15,000 total acres planted. Now, <laughs> understanding that, right. that may not be 100% accurate. We may be off by even 10,000 acres. There's uh-huh. 7,000 becomes a big number if at that point. Right, especially when you have soybean oil and stuff like this on the market. Sure. That's easily. And so we, you know, we've expanded really. We use soybean oil and cardamom and peppers and all kinds of stuff to make organic compounds. Yeah. The world has really been controlled. Chemistry universities, the whole thought process has been controlled by the hydrocarbon, which is a really simple, dirty, basic molecule. When you take that to like a cellulose molecule, a carbohydrate, the green economy, organic production, plant-based, it's one cleaner to work with. And in many ways it can be easier 
So we've really looked, taken to like identifying high margin, highly toxic things to address first. So like VOCs, durable goods, down to the point where we've made this plant-based rebar with fiberglass and playing with hemp on that front. But yeah, I mean, that's been tested by the universities and you can do basically anything with, you know, just a little bit of chemistry and know-how. And so, yeah, we are focusing on composite materials and epoxies, plant-based epoxies, plant-based structural components. And, you know, obviously when you mix that with hempcrete, then you can get a 85, 90% plant-based structure with the structural components and then hempcrete on the inside. And so it's like, that's kind of our goal. And then we'll move on to, you know, when cattle feed and stuff comes around and and get into the the food side of this. But yeah, right now, a lot of industrial consumer goods. So if anybody's interested in that, we also sell our epoxy independently. If you want to do like some of your own product development, we're working on a kayak internally, a little bit behind schedule, but it'll be out hopefully by the end of this year, a hemp based kayak. So Okay. Just a few of the things we're working on, but what are some of the what are some of the big benefits for the hemp kayak? I mean, understanding that the cost is a little bit of a concern, and I don't know if kayak kayaks before were blow mold mm-hmm. compared to whatever type of yeah set in yeah two piece. Hey, what got me on the kayak is there was this meme of uh, a bunch of protesters protesting a big oil rig. Uh-huh. And they were all in plastic kayaks. <laughs> it's like, damn, like we can't even begin to protest these people because we don't have a viable, you know, durable material. And so we t- we took to trying to fix that one. Fred's wondering, are you using refined hemp seed oil? So or this is right now. It's mainly soybean oil, and then cashews and peppers but we're definitely working with hemp seed it's just a matter of cost you know it would be the most expensive epoxy available which yeah if anybody wants it by all means but it's just it's a volume thing and that's with all of agriculture we've got to grow this on yes you know millions of acres and then we can really start to play with it so well and understanding what we're competing with right there was something that really made it stand out to me when we look at you know when we're buying something, we're looking at the cost we're paying, not at the entire life cycle of it, mm. right? Until we're able to scale. So can you kind of talk about what that scale looks like for you? What do the next couple of years look like as far as you know, opportunity, farm scale? Yeah. Yeah. So we're growing as fast as one can, I think, 10 times each year. So we're looking at anywhere from about 800 to 1,200 acres next year. I and mean, I think we've got that kind of locked down. And ultimately, our model is for about 14,000 acres to feed our one facility. And so, yeah, and, and we work with, check them out, Center for Maximum Building Potential Systems. Okay. CMBPS, Plenty Fisk, he put together a lot of the LEED certifications from the beginning. And yeah, taking a systems approach. I saw Saba's little circle there. Yeah. You got to keep it in the middle of this thing. So... And that gets back to, you know, we talked about this prior to hopping on, like input costs, you know, obviously diesel and inflation and all this is really hurting us. But with that, if you just have more sustainable practice and you stay within that kind of realm of sustainability, 
you know, we don't till, I mean, so far we, we use primarily no-till practice. And so, okay, the diesel, price of diesel is outrageous. Well, we really only take the tractor over the field two, maybe three times for the whole season, you know, for that field for the whole season. You know, harvest, maybe one application fertilizer, planting, you know, and then a burn down. So, and, and, I, and I, I was ignorant to really no-till practice. And then really getting into the farmers, obviously, like we think of a field, like, oh, it's fresh, plowed, you know, with the mule team. And that's it. I was like, why'd you go no-till? You know, he's like, well, we were poor in the 80s and we couldn't afford to take the tractor out there in the field. And it never occurred to me that like, yeah, sticking forks in the ground and ripping it up is like a lot of energy. And so you remove that from the process well, you've just reduced your diesel cost in a half or a third. And then if you don't use herbicides and pesticides, like hemp doesn't have. So, I mean, we've reduced, I mean, we're able to pay our farmers significantly more per acre than corn or cotton. And then their overall input cost is quite a bit less. So, you know, mitigating these, I mean, also nitrogen fertilizer is outrageous and stuff like that. And so we're all about trying to find alternatives there as well. It's really reducing the bottom line also, right? It's not so much about it being a competitive dollar for dollar. It's what are the input costs that you're competing with? Yeah, I, I, wanted to, I mentioned this. So Texas a we just had a field day two days ago, and this was about all crops. And then they yeah. had a little part on hemp, but they had a brilliant economist there, just an old A&M, you know, you could probably yeah. picture the type. Economist talking about like, you know, what is price, but the summation of cost. And, yeah. and then I don't know if I said that right, but basically it's, it's the input cost is what you're ultimately going to make. If you can reduce your input costs, then you can make more money per year. Mm -hmm. And if you can just, there it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, looking at that as a system versus like, oh, we just want to make max yield every year. It's like, okay, well, great. We've polluted the rivers and we have no topsoil and, I have some very interesting conversations with these farmers out here. I love them to death, right? We need them. But a lot of, I mean, the average age of a farmer is 64. Yeah. And that might've been a three-year-old fact, but you know, we need these young farmers coming up with new practices and just a fresh look on these things. And um, so, yeah. I've, I've pulled some statistics even just the other day that are really humbling. When you look at the number of generations that a farm is in a family now, you know, and there are, I think it's like close to zero, like oh, 0.6% right. over fifth generation or something like that. Yeah, my family squandered it. We used to have at 1.14 thousand acres and then yeah. thousand and then. Um, well, and you can't blame. I mean, I think those numbers just go to show where this shift has to come in, right? And where this paradigm really has to be putting our farmers at the forefront. We have opportunity to grow all of the things that we need and our farmers have to be taken care of. I also saw something the other day and I'll try to share it on social media here soon, but it really put into perspective the number of people, it was two M&M jars and yeah. on the left was the number of people that were in the, in the world, right. That were dependent on our farms. And then the next one was the number of people that were farming. And it was like a full big jar to a couple of M&Ms. And it like that to me was very, eye-opening about, again, where does each of us buy our tomatoes and our vegetables and our hemp protein and whatever it is that we're going to be driving? Yeah. yeah. It, 
it, it, that's, I think, where this reality needs to come and where, for me, hemp was so eye-opening because it connected or brought to the forefront what I was so disconnected from. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Right, right. I was with, I don't know, Coleman Hemphill and, and yeah. Ross over yeah. there. We were walking around the Capitol and it was just like, you know, when was the last time you had a bunch of young guys in here juiced up talking about farming and about, you know, how good this can be and all the innovation relative, you know, nobody gets fired up about corn or cotton. And, and actually with this field day, you it know, there were two, farming sexy. Farming <laughs> sexy again. Yes. That's our, that's one of our tags. We need bumper stickers. <laughs> yeah. Our t-shirts, but, uh, yes. yeah. And that was like, you know, at this field day and I encourage everybody should have them in their area. Their universities typically have like an agri-life extension. Yeah, and they have field days, and all the farmers go out. It's like a real field day, you know. And you go out in the field and look at crops, and you know they've been hearing the same stuff about corn and cotton for fifty years, and now you've got a bunch of old farmers and university guys looking at a cannabis plant like they've never seen it before, and they can make make a bunch of money. And it's like, oh, you know. I'll share one more fact though, and that's a great point about yeah, le- less than one percent of people grow all the food for the rest, at least in America, mm-hmm. and we need to recognize that and supply chains and climate change, call it what you want, global warming, pollution, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we've got, I've heard anywhere from, if you want my honest opinion, I think we have six years to like really revolutionize everything we're doing and get back to a more sustainable Before it's too late. Yeah. It's like a punch in the gut. Yeah. But, But we just have to try again. You know, we haven't even, we've just kind of puttered along and we didn't have a full picture. You know, it's like, you don't know, We don't know what we don't know, right? Right. Technology, for that reason, has been beneficial because the data is undeniable now. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But the the same economist, he said, and this is a good metric for the global food supply, they use how many days of wheat or how much food is stored if you lost this whole crop? Like how much food is available if we didn't get any more food? How many days left of food do we have on the planet if, for whatever reason we didn't get the next year's crop. And this is the lowest point that it's been in 15 or 20 years. But more so than that, and I don't know what this says, we love China, but China is currently storing half of all the world's wheat and two thirds of the world's corn. So, I mean, that's straight from the horse's mouth. And well, and we look at, we look at where, you know, again, this shift, I'm kind of silent because it's just eye opening, right? We don't see it yet. And, and the more, the majority of the people that are not talking about it, eat, breathing and sleeping it all day long, you know, that, that they're so disconnected from it and they still go into the store and they still have chicken and they still have beef and they still have flour and they still have, but like, look at the baby formula shortage already. That's in our face. <laughs> yeah. Golly America. That's not funny. That's really not funny. It's not, but... it's not funny. And we have an opportunity with hemp to create a hemp formula you know, a hemp protein and there is hemp baby formula and we're being blocked with policy and regulations. And, but I think that this, it it is in our face and it's going to get worse. Right. And so, okay, so let's get away from the doom and gloom a little bit and talk about what, you know, what is created by, by opening facility and by doing what you did, what have you been able to do as far as jobs and what are we looking at as opportunities that really come for me, after processing this R&D phase is only the beginning of what we're going to see for job creation. So yeah. I want your feedback there. Yeah, we're 
hiring. I think we've got some people to fill the positions right now. Yeah, but we're going to need at least 350 people over the next five years. And yeah, Tom Vilsack, yeah, he's doing some good stuff. But yeah, I mean, jobs and actually the USDA and the federal government is, you know, they've really changed their language to like one of like towards like relocalizing and deglobalizing. And with that is jobs, you know, and so we're doing some economic development here in Taylor. And, you know, we got working on some assistance with them. You know, it's in Texas, at least. I don't know if this is true everywhere, but to get public money, all you have to do is say jobs five times in technology three and they give it to you. And so I think Utah is the same, but backwards, like technology. We're such a tech hub. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're doing tech. OK, we're interested. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've got to kind of change that paradigm. Yes. Away from, you know, because it's really and, and this is what I get back to is that we don't have really any positive modes of profit. And if we can develop systems and jobs and opportunity around a positive from the foundation, it's a good thing. We're going to do it. You know, I don't think we're inherently bad. You know, we took oil. If oil was a good thing, then we'd be in, the, you know, if oil just happened to clean up the earth or do something like him, then golly, you know, use the shit out of oil. And that's what we want to do with him. You know, just put it everywhere. Like just find a reason, put it in your walls, you know, put it write on it, wipe your ass with it, you know, pay people with it, Any. anything. And we can do it. I mean, I, I keep getting back to this fact of, to me, it's not doom and gloom. It's like we literally got here just kind of fumbling through history. And then we found oil and we're like, oh, great, we can do everything with this. And then we're like, oh, yeah. shit, we might have like, you yeah. know, the first green revolution, we thought we were going to run out of, of food, you know, oh, my gosh. And then we just like spent a little time on it and we got ourselves like, 40, 50 years, but it's just because we tried. So we just have to give it a little effort. And yeah, jobs, 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 really. That's my whole goal here. And and that's really was because I was when I went to Germany, I was like, you know, money, 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 money. Where's the money at? And they're like, look, don't worry about money. We employ 375 people. We all drive nice cars. We live in a nice place. We're good. We can retire. And it's like, hmm, maybe that's a way to think about things. So, yeah. And again, this has to be more than just money, right? This is not, if if people are looking to get into the industry on a get rich scheme, it's just not, not going to happen. This is definitely a long-term play. And so. Well, and I get, well, and I, I guess this is what I wanted to say was um, make farming sexy again, but like just refocus on, plant i mean because there are entire universities dedicated to petroleum engineering mm -hmm. you know and like total curriculums and it's like people don't even know how to think about it on the other side but i'm starting to meet people especially within the hemp space of like you know there's a group out of new mexico and they're just like it, you know young people doing high level organic chemistry and we can do these things. And now we have one of our tags is introducing Silicon Valley to Silicon. You know, it's like we could do whatever you want with it. You can make a. And actually, we're working with Samsung maybe to sneak some hemp plastic or some aspect of building a $17 billion factory here in Taylor, Texas, if you haven't heard. Yeah, taking all yes. our water. You've heard about this. Yeah. Yes. Well, I heard from you. I follow you on social media and you were doing something and had mentioned it on social media. Yeah. Yeah. We gave them, you know, the house, the car, the kitchen sink, all the water. And so we've 
are here because of agriculture, you know, that's like why yeah. we're here in the first place. So maybe we should like pay attention to it. And yeah. even at the, and we work with the, I mean, A&M, obviously they do agriculture, but then like even at the local level, the community colleges and stuff, if you really go there, like they offer like, you know, automotive, HVAC, electrical, plumbing, trade schools, you know, we don't have, and all of those things apply in the field in some cases, but we need like these community colleges to be talking about like, you know, textile manufacturing, machining, chemical refining, bio refining. Yes. You know, I don't know. It's got to be a top down and just teach people. I mean, people yes. don't even know. Yeah. So. Well, that's what makes me excited. So I'm really excited about getting involved with the land grant universities, not just on the farm side, but on that product development side, because mm-hmm. I've said for a long time, if we could just get this in the hands of our kids, they'll change the world with it. <laughs> like, yes, for example, are a perfect person to take this and run. And I, and I'm, I, again, I go back to like the need to get the younger generations excited about the farming aspect and the production aspect of this. And so, well, and anytime I like interview people or we try to bring somebody on, I'm just like, just what is one thing, you know, everybody's got that one thing in their life. It's like, why is that? You know, this could be way more efficient. This could be way simpler. Or why do we waste this? You know, one, my favorite one is like, you know, why do we cut down trees to wipe our ass? It's like, how disrespectful is that? You know, you cut down a billion trees a year. So just, you know, and you can't get distracted on every one, but if you've got one person really interested in that and they just want to like find out what does a, 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 tech, a, a paper mill look like and, you know, it's fun. You'll find out and go see one and see the scale of this and, you know, the money will turn on eventually. I don't know. Money likes to see this tech. They like a simple fix. You know, like, where's that algorithm? I just want the code. Money follows value. It always has and it always will. Right? Yeah. If we're providing good value, it will. It It is. It will. And yeah. so, better product, more sustainable. And, and I think that as much as penalties suck, I think they've definitely helped when it comes to the carbon footprint and the awareness that's coming around the impact that companies are making by their poor manufacturing practices. Yeah. Tax the hell out of these guys. And I don't care about the price of diesel or gas, honestly. I mean, that's the price of doing business. You know, it's, you can get in and harness the power of 400 horses. Like, you know how hard that would have been to do a hundred years ago, get 400 (laughs) horses to do one thing. Sorry, it costs. You know, I mean, it's hurting me too, but, you know, it's, this is no joke. This is no joke, people. Yeah. David yeah. Carlson. <laughs> we're doing everything we can for Dave Carlson. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So when you talk about like people that are really doing things right, right, you've been around a lot of organizations. Who should we as an industry and as an association really be paying attention to and you know, lifting up? maybe technology that's not spoken about a lot or processes, people. Yeah. All those things. I mean, I guess on a, 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 we'll start this way and then work our way out. Yeah. Um, I'm here in Austin, obviously restart CBD is a great company. I think they're kind of the most prepared and, and aware of what's going on within like the cannibal, the cannibal man, cannabis medical usage. Yeah. And then Hempress hygienics, check them out. They're trying to do um, hemp feminine products and yeah. all organic, keep things clean. And then more broadly, and these are companies that we work with 
and like we distribute their products. You know, we have an opportunity here to provide the seed, but then a whole different set of like fertilizers and inputs. So we're working on a really high level with A&M and internally and some other crop research groups to figure out not spraying anhydrous nitrogen on everything, polluting our rivers. So using biologicals, using chicken waste from over here and putting it here. Just think about that whenever you want to get into this, that like it's not just you want to grow hemp at the end, it's the value chain. And looking at, okay, this is a new crop, here's a new material to put on it. Biochar is obviously a great one. Promised Land Organics, we work with biochar there. And so, yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of biochar. biochar. And, I, and it's funny because I feel like that industry is as broken or more broken than the hemp industry when it comes to data and products that are out and false Right. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't go around chopping down forests to turn it into biochar. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe there's a benefit on the back end of that, but from the beginning, it's not the best idea. So, <laughs> yeah, there's actually, and, and we, we do, we've got, I don't know, 20,000 yards of biochar we got from a, an old charcoal factory actually out here. And it was just laying around there. And so you can see it on a map from a satellite. It's all green. And we went in there and mined it up. And it's, bio, <laughs> it's biochar. It's a pyrolysis. You know, it's not. As good, biochar now is obviously kind of like the standard of biochar. Right. If you're familiar, I mean, they've figured out how to structure it appropriately. But, I mean, that the basic idea is carbon attracts, attracts other things. And so, well, you know, it holds your like your fertilizers and it keeps your, yeah, reduces yeah. the amount of water that's needed. And, yeah. Yeah. All those things. And, and yeah, I mean, I work with Sage Hell, a good friend of mine. He... You know, we're all about closing the loop, right? No waste and trying to capture all that. And then I just got to shout out our Blue Bonnet Bioscience. That's kind of our internal bioscience company working on feed formulations. And that's the plastics that we talked about and the molecules. So Blue Bonnet Bioscience, you might be hearing about them in the next couple months. Yeah, so. I would love to hear more about some of those products. That's just yeah. exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously where my brain does not function very well. So I love learning. <laughs> Well, yeah, we just have to be careful that what course. we're doing is, you know, FDA and all that stuff. And so, but it's coming. It's definitely coming. When you're ready. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So there've been lots of great comments. Um, one, Tosh, Tasha had a question wondering what you're doing internationally. She's working in Africa. Yeah. What, what are you doing internationally? Everything that we can do. Okay. Um, yeah. I say like we learn one day and then we try to, teach the next and what happens here you know if it works here it'll work anywhere and if it doesn't work here then we're in big trouble and so we've got uh, partners in South Africa some folks in Kenya and then actually the guy that I started this whole well, what I was the processing plant that we set up it was actually a flour mill before that to make injera teff and I had worked with this guy four years ago and he's Ethiopian and we set up a flour Tef mill to make injera and we were selling it and um it, the dude was brilliant you know i just was like riding you know and helping the hand but yeah folks in india obviously australia is a big partner of ours and then yeah w w i mean the the world is like entering you know in a new phase it's developing whatever it's an emerging economy 
but like in India specifically, they're starting to enter the economic, they're becoming economic players. And right now, much of the world does a lot of things by hand. And whereas in America, we need like a $10 million facility and all this stuff. Nobody wants to work. It needs to automate everything. These people have been doing everything by hand forever and they're happy doing it. They just need like that one. One mechanical, one little, what we would consider not even hardly a tool. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it would like exponentially, you know, increase their economic power. And so there's a lot of ways we can do that. So Tasha, yeah, let's, let's talk. And Saba, I mean, Saba knows about this too. She's on. She's a great ally in all of this. So Yes. Shout out to Saba. Shout out to Tasha. She's also incredible. She's got great connections, very involved in the coffee industry and coffee mm. markets there also. And so that's pretty ex- exciting. She said that she has communities in India that, let's see, that continue to reach out that are severely, you know, impoverished also. So mm-hmm. Very well connected. I think that's what becomes very exciting is the ability to make such a huge impact in rural communities, right? We kind of talked about that when we look at like, how is the industry going to scale? What's it going to take to scale from where we're at now to what our potential is even in five, 10, 30 years? And I really think it is. It's this smaller, smaller size processing that reaches these rural areas that you know, walk before we run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't figure out why people keep failing at this. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're not in the best. We're not out of the water. This is very expensive. We need help yes. at every level. But, you know, I just keep people, see people throwing away millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is not easy. Farm first, right? Let's put the seeds in the ground, see if it's going to grow. Or you go buy the big shiny thing, right? Which is always like the big shiny thing. And so, yes. Tasha says hempcrete, no more mud huts, right? And, and I think this kind of brings back to where we're at, Lucas, in life and where, you know, most people are in the world and the impact that we make around the housing piece alone, which is a very small, small piece of this huge market or huge opportunity. And so, yeah, do you have anything you want to add on on this piece? Well, I just saw one week ago. I don't know who gave the money to him, but A and M just got three point seven million dollars to research hempcrete applications. So yeah, and then also Icon here in Austin is looking at using it for three D printing. So yeah, I mean it's got to happen. And again, with the factors at play here, I mean it. it we have we have the data on our side. I mean, we need to do a better job at like getting these things approved and this and that, but like at the end of the day, these things work. And so just try it. You know, every little person and every little group out there, one hemcrete deal, we're going to do a bathroom at our place. You know, that just generates the economy, lets people know, Hey, this feels good to walk inside. And I made this, you know, mm-hmm. so every little one, it, it's going to build up and, have a great ripple effect. So, and I think a critical mass here that we're, I think, we're close to. That's what I was just going to say. Going to say, I think that it's important when people start to see it and touch it and feel it, and then we'll start to see this real exponential growth. And it's no longer just a conversation; it's actually happening for people, and it's no longer a disconnect. It's actually right there in their face. So, pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm excited about everything you're doing. But yeah, Lucas, anything else you want to add? No, just keep up all the work out here. Y'all found the right thing in hemp. You know, it's what's brought together a great team for me, for sure. Yes, power to the farmer. 
mainly, Power to the Farmer, put them in the driver's seat. These are the most brilliant people out there. When I started getting involved in this, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I was rounded, but I wasn't like a farmer. You know, during the day, they work with, they understand and read Mother Nature perfectly. And then at night, they go work on like high level mechanics. And, you know, as I was like, you know, they're building their rocket to space at night. And so, yeah, say thank you. Find out where your food comes from. Reach out to us if you want to know about hemp or, you know, we do a lot of stuff in agriculture too, broadly. So it's lucas at texashemppro.com. And yeah, keep it up in Texas. My, we, our parent company, our website, our movement, the earthendeavor.com slash agriculture. That kind of takes you a little more to it. Talks about, you know, some of our epoxies and our advanced products, but this stuff is happening at light speed. So bear with us. You know, I, I tend to do this stuff first before I make a page about it and, and talk about it. So someone used to say all the time that we're fixing the plane while it's flying. we're out of time we've got you know the plane's in the air and we've got to hurry up and fix it and so yeah for sure that's where we're at but we've got some great mechanics my grandpa actually uh worked with pratt and whitney so okay so i i'm we've talked a lot we just have a couple minutes left (laughs) but we've talked a lot about like sustainability the environment why we're doing it for the people for our earth but we're also coming up on a huge opportunity for capital and revenue potential for generational wealth that we can create at the, I see we're at the forefront of an industrial revolution, right? This paradigm shift. Can you kind of speak to what that looks like and why should people be getting in now when it comes to, especially for those guys that don't believe in climate change, like, cool, put that aside. What else is there? And it's huge. Hmm. Well, at very least, Governments and monetary funds realize that there is not a very bright future for oil and gas. I think we are certainly, we have some money from oil and gas. I'm not going to act like we don't. Yeah. In Texas, I mean, Jesus Christ, right? So, well, they're not dumb. They know that this is coming, right? They they get it. (laughs) Right. And I mean, the refineries, it's the same type deal. You know, I mean, we're going to need that type of infrastructure and Mm -hmm. effort just over here. And I think that's the way to really think about this. I think people think, oh, when we're talking about a green revolution or, you know, organic revolution, they're like, oh, well, everybody's going to go back to sitting by the fire, living and, you know, doing nothing, whatever. When actually it's like quite the opposite. Like this just means like we need every smart person in the world, all the money to like develop these beautiful cities. Like we need to rebuild pretty much every city and do it sustainably and using the things Right, down to Texel Development Group. Yes, we love them in South America and stuff like that. And so, yeah, get in or get out. There's a great documentary. There's a German, like, 60 Minutes. It's just called The Green Revolution. And it just came out, like, two weeks ago on DW. They're, like, the German documentary. And that really kind of talks about what we're doing. I mean, I need to get my chemist on here. His name's Dr. Dragon Simovich. Yes, please. Yeah, he's actually a genius. Okay, but I'll be honest. When we do this, I need somebody else who also speaks the same language so we can... Because there's sometimes I'm like, I get you're speaking English, but I don't know what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Someone who can dive into some of these things. Because, yeah, I I mean, you'll see me just like... (laughs) Well, it's just boring, you know. Well, what's boring... (laughs) No, no, it's not boring. What's boring is conventional conventional chemical refining. Sure. 
log carbon chains and then you introduce like, I mean, it's whatever we've been doing that. But like when you talk about, I mean, like we can make sustainable sunscreens and it comes from like, you know, coconut shells. And I mean, just like that's what gets me excited is like, instead of just like pumping oil, putting it in a refiner in here, it's like, we're going to get to our reefs. Yeah. We're going to get to support like, you know, civiculture or I forget what it is. There's one type of agriculture and there's a class I wanted to go take it, but it's in South America. You go through the forest and you can, if you know the plants, you know, we just need to recover this knowledge. But like on any landscape, we call them weeds in America because it's not corn or cotton or whatever, but like everything is medicinal. Everything is useful. We just have lost that knowledge. And if people really knew what was out there, plus our like technological capacities, like one person in say, Guatemala, who has like a native knowledge of the landscape, could be like their own little pharmaceutical hub, you know, and put out like cancer products and stuff like this, you know, and that's a beautiful supply chain. When we like center our, we just have to like recenter the global economy back on nature, you know, so that we have to take care of nature. Right now we're we're using nature from 2 million years ago or 30 million years ago, so... We just have to get like within that that circle that Saba showed. That's perfect. I mean, it's you know these are our resources, and if we can like support them, and then they take from us and give from them. And- we need to get Saba on, and we'll talk about that. So yeah, my shout out, my call out, and same with you. Anybody on your team, Lucas, I'd love to have you back. I'd love to do a Q and A panel. We want to bring multiple people on. I think it would be a great idea. But also, if there's anybody else looking for information or specific topics or connections to certain industries, please reach out. I'd love to help support you. We have about 400, almost 500 now interviews published and available. But then with that, uh, there's so many people that are coming on board, you know, like Lucas, I've been chasing you down for a year now. So I'm glad to have you on finally. (laughs) But I would love to continue to expand this and continue to expand our network and our knowledge because there's so much out there that isn't in a textbook yet. And so however I can help. And same with you, if there's anything you guys heard or you saw or you like today, please share it. Um, help other people find our content. And then Lucas, anything else before we sign off? Again, how do people reach, reach out. out to you? I'll share your email again real quick. Yeah, Lucas at Texas Hemp Pro. The earthendeavor.com slash agriculture. Yeah, that's kind of our broader movement, what we do on the side. Awesome. Yeah, we're involved in a lot. But awesome, awesome. Check cool. us out, texashemppro.com. Thanks. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you guys are awesome. Thank you very, very much. And we will see you guys later.